This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Senator Dan Sullivan coming up shortly. The veteran, your former Bush staffer, now senator from uh, Alaska. That'll be great. And Eric Erickson will bring us inside the runoff that not enough people are paying attention to. And that is between Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock, the current sitting senator. Very few people know more about what's going on in Georgia than Eric Erickson. That's why it's so great to have him on. Uh, and also, France, uh, we have uh, President Macron of France in town who came out with a, a direct slap across the bow or shot across the bow to the President Biden for his green bill. The Inflation Reduction Act. Really? He sounds like he wants to be on Fox News. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So look, uh, he's been there. He's been to the border. Uh, and since he took office. When, when did he go to the border? Since he took office, the President Biden has been uh, taking action to fix our immigration system and secure our border. That is a lie. The press secretary came out, and she says, with some comprehensive immigration reform while she busted, while President Biden busted the border open. It was never a serious attempt taken up by a Democratic House and Senate. And that, of course, is not true. The President Biden ever went to the border in his entire career. Looming southern border blitz is what's happening. Perhaps Biden calling up Trump policy to stem the imminent invasion. I'm not kidding. They're calling in a lot of them. I truly believe he has no choice. What say you? Number two. Clearly, I um, I made a lot of mistakes or, or things I would give anything to be able to do over again. Um, I didn't ever uh, try to commit fraud on anyone. Oh, yeah. Disgrace crypto klepto. Sam Blankman Freed goes live and uncensored to explain how he lost billions of investors' money. The bigger out question is why is he not in jail or even charged with some form of fraud? Why is this not outrageous to you? We examine. Number one. Democrats are picking on Elon Musk. Do you. What's your reaction to that? Elon Musk is doing just fine. One human being should not be able to go into a dark room by himself and decide, oh, that person gets heard from, that person doesn't. Oh, that is unbelievable. Big, big tech battle for hearts and free minds. That's first stop is going to be Twitter. One thing is clear. The left seems scared to death of Elon Musk taking over and what he could reveal. Is it because of what Twitter has concealed and what it's about to be revealed? Or is it just about legitimate free speech? We will discuss. So this is unbelievable. Elon Musk, since he got, first he wanted Twitter. He wanted to be a board member. They said, that's great. And they said, you know what? I want to be an owner. He said, wow, no. And then they said, okay, he's got the money. 
Let's sell it to him. Sold. And then he said, I don't want it anymore. Really? I'm going to sue you to make you buy it. Really? And just before the lawsuit kicked in, he said, I'll buy it for the exact price I asked for it. Okay, $44 billion. Yes. And then he goes in there, and every day he's been in the news talking about what he's discovered at Twitter, what he's going to do, the people he's reinstated, including the former president of the United States. And it's been nonstop. And for some reason, as Elon Musk, who was lauded at SpaceX, which he founded, is lauded at Tesla, the number one electric car, which President Biden is all about, international, by the way, leading technology. He's got his other company, the boring company, that's going to make tunnels over major cities to alleviate traffic. But when he bought Twitter and said, I'm just going to balance it out and expose the bias to bring free speech back, it is suddenly a threat to every Democrat. Listen to this. Cut one. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. When are you guys going to delete the White House Twitter account? Why would we do that? Well, you're saying that you're keeping an eye on Twitter because it might not be a suitable platform. So why use it? The president has always said, and he has been very, very uh, clear in his belief that it is important of social media platforms to continue to take steps to reduce hate speech and misinformation. Really? What? You're talking about Twitter from the podium? You're talking about the need to look at what Twitter is doing from the podium? Of the federal government? Does that make sense? If you want to bring something up about regulating an industry that came upon us 20 years ago and it's only had one source of major regulation, that's that's good. All right, let's talk about it. But now you're going to go look at Twitter after what we know is clear bias and shadow banning that's taken place. You had no interest. Now you do. It's because of what could be revealed and what Elon Musk has tweeted out will be revealed. And that's the truth about any suppression and political bias. And then we're getting these inklings, and I think they're all related. Listen to this. Now we're getting story by story every day that mm, the more we look at it, that New York Post story revealing that Hunter Biden's laptop has international business dealings on it and links his father to it. And Tony Bobulinski's story seems correct. That was suppressed two years ago and ignored Bobulinski specifically right before election of 2020. First, the New York Times looks at it a year later and goes, yeah, it's, I think it's true. Then Washington Post goes, yeah, I think that laptop's accurate. And last week, was it last week or two weeks ago, Catherine Herridge does a story and gets some uh, cyber experts and says, yeah, this laptop's authentic. And things that are on here are actually real. And Hunter Biden is in a lot of trouble. But the bigger story is the linkage to Joe Biden. I don't care about drug addicts and guys like hookers and deny they have children. That's Hunter Biden. He's got to live with himself. But as it relates to us and the fact that that story did not come out, is a problem because you could look at that and as Leon Musk tweeted out and say that is manipulating of elections. That is an interest. I don't want to go too long here, but Jim Jordan came out and he talked about why. And we'll talk about that later. But now we're seeing more and more people just feeling threatened by Elon Musk taking Twitter, including Elizabeth Warren yesterday. Hillary Vaughn caught up to her in the hallway and wants to know what this obsession is about cut for. Democrats are picking on Elon Musk. Do you, what's your reaction to that? Elon Musk is doing just fine. But do you think that users have a right to freedom of speech, even if what they're saying is wrong or offensive? I think that one human being should not decide how millions of people communicate with each other. And it doesn't make any difference who that human being is. One human being should not be able to go into a dark room by himself and decide, oh, that person gets heard from, that person doesn't. That's not how it should work. I don't mind if he brings in a board, a bipartisan board, should do that. 
I mean, how do you handle anti-Semitic behavior? How do you handle it if somebody intimates or indicates that they're going to go shoot up a school? What do you say when someone targets somebody else on Twitter, whether it's a public figure or their next-door neighbor? I mean, there's a good, good, solid questions, and there should be a system in place for a private or a public company, I believe. And one person is not going in a room and deciding it, and it's not Elon Musk. Here's, it's impossible to have millions of users around the world have major companies, even if you, this was your only focus. This guy's got nine kids and a million companies. Do you read trying to get into Mars? Do you think he's going to sit there and decide if Billy Johnson should be banned or not? But there's something about him that's threatened. I want to get your calls on that one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, I'll bring that up to Dan Sullivan. Also talk about the revelation. He's a veteran that now we know that we're going to lose thousands of people out of our military because of vaccinations, lack thereof, as well as our academies. If they get, they're allowed to go through four years, but won't get commissioned. If they don't get vaccinated, how is this acceptable? It is not. Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. Uh, It's my privilege to bring back to the show Senator Dan Sullivan, uh, a veteran in the military. He is also the senator from Alaska, worked with the Bush White House. Senator, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. He said, I got to ask you about uh, Emmanuel Macron yesterday. He came out and he was very critical of the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, said there was too much radical green energy involved in it. Not good for business, if I could paraphrase. What's your reaction to France getting on us? Well, look, that's a little rich coming from a socialist country like France. But I think um, Macron is actually making a good point. And you look at what the Democrats have done completely on their own, inflation, so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which is only going to drive up um, inflation and the American Recovery Act, two trillion of Democrat partisan spending. So these things, Brian, are driving the biggest problem in America right now, which is soaring inflation. And of course, a topic you and I have discussed many, many times: the insane Biden administration energy policies, which are crushing domestic energy, driving up energy prices, and now empowering dictators where the president and his team go on bended knee to Saudi Arabia and now Venezuela to get more energy from them and oil from them as opposed to getting it from places like Alaska. Insane. Senator, uh, first off, you saw uh, Admiral Kirby come out and say, well, the problem is domestic oil. Uh, we have 9,000 unused leases. Why fine? don't they use them? What do you, what's your answer to that? Uh, hope we didn't lose them. Yes, we did. Uh, but I'm going to pull back the same question again because, Senator, 
uh, Senator Dan Sullivan, somebody knows oil and gas. You cannot be in Alaska and not understand oil and gas, what it means for the local economy. And then two days ago, when asked why we're going to Venezuela, they said it's it's not that big of a deal. We're just trying to they, – they decided to meet with the, uh, the, uh, the opposition and have talks. So Senator – and when they had those talks, he said, in reward for that, we'll let Chevron start drilling off the coast of Venezuela. And when people started criticizing Kirby, he said, well, there's 9,000 unused leases. Should you put some reality to that statement, Senator Sullivan? Yeah, it's it's crazy. And look, um, first of all, as I mentioned, this administration shutting down energy production in America from day one. Remember, the Biden administration at the beginning of the administration because of the Trump administration policies and Republicans in the Senate – Uh, focusing on energy independence, Joe Biden and his team inherited an America that was energy independent. One of the biggest strategic advantages we have in the entire world. Everybody fears it. Russia, the Chinese Communist Party, American energy independence and dominance. And so what do they do? They don't continue that, which helps American workers, helps our economy, helps keep energy prices low. They attack our own energy production from day one. And, Brian, I see it every day in Alaska, but here's here's something else. This administration has approved fewer onshore and offshore federal leases than any other administration since World War II. That is a fact. And right now, let me give you specifics in Alaska. We have a project called the Willow Project. This has been in permitting, if you can believe it, for almost 15 years ready to go under the Trump administration, could be up to 190,000 barrels a day by American workers, and we're still trying to get these guys to approve it. I was supposed to have a meeting in the White House yesterday. They canceled it on me at the last minute on this very topic. And at the same time, they green light energy production from Venezuela, one of our adversaries, worst pollution record in the world, Uh, You can't think of anything more insane than this energy policy. Absolutely. And I just want you to hear what Joe Biden said when he was asked this from a heckler. This really talks about what his philosophy is. No more drilling. There is no more drilling. I haven't formed any new, new drilling. And he said it twice in two days. That's how he feels. He can't pretend as if it's happening. Things are happening on private lands in spite of him, and it's not in our security interests, and we're leaving our allies isolated that no longer are getting Russia oil and gas. Final thought on this? You're exactly right. This is a issue that relates to, of course, jobs in America. It relates to energy security. It relates to national security. We're much stronger when we're energy independent. It relates to helping our allies. I was just in Asia. The Japanese, the Koreans, Taiwan, they are begging for American oil and natural gas to do exactly what you just said, which is get off Russian oil and gas. But you have guys like John Kerry who go over to these countries and literally tell them, don't buy American LNG. And then finally, Brian, and it never really gets highlighted, American energy production helps the environment. We have the highest standards in the world in terms of environmental standards on producing energy, more than any other place in the world. If we need American energy, if you need energy, which we do, why not get it from American workers, American production, 
and the highest standards in the world like we have in America. So uh, right now, I don't know if you're vaccinated, but I know you have a military background. We're telling everyone you're not vaccinated, you don't get your exemption, and you are out of the military, including our academies. Lindsey Graham, excuse me, Rand Paul is taking a stand on this. There's a $45 billion supplemental, I guess, going to the Pentagon. Not if they don't release this vaccination mandate. Cut 22. Our young men and women in the military deserve better. Congress should take action, and we're taking action today by saying we will not vote to get on the NDAA, the Defense Authorization Bill, unless we have a vote on ending this military vaccine mandate. Uh, Are you for that? Every branch except the Marines have not hit their level and we're going to kick thousands out? Yes, and that's a huge part of this issue. Not only, and Rand Paul's done a great job of describing the science on this, and uh, we had a very big discussion at our conference just yesterday on this, but there's this other issue that relates to readiness. Every service is going to, with the exception of the Marine Corps, is going to miss its recruiting goals, the Army by several thousand, and yet we're kicking young men and women out of the military. This is a worthy cause that Rand Paul has been leading on, and I think it goes to not just the science, but the readiness issues when we have all these men and women willing to serve and have been been kicked kicked out of the military um, uh, when we have this huge recruiting problem where we don't have enough people serving. Right. $45 billion is the amount of money that's going to go to the National Defense Authorization Act, but they're not going to get it uh, if they don't reverse this. But do you guys have the power to do something about it? So right now there's been negotiations going on. Marsha Blackburn's been leading on this as well as Rand Paul. And if those negotiations aren't successful on addressing this issue, which, again, is both the mandate in terms of science, which Rand Paul raises, but also readiness of our military. It's insane that we would kick people out who are healthy when we can't get enough people to actually serve. So there's that, and then there's the uh, issue of using our authority as U.S. senators on the vote to get on the bill. And that's what we're trying to focus on right now. So I do think there's a pathway here. Right. You don't have the simple majority, right? It has to be 60. Yeah, might have lost him again. I mean, that's one of the challenges of going to Canada, uh, Alaska. That's, uh, it's hard to get in touch. So listen, the other big story is the runoff election. Right now it is uh, 50-50, excuse me, 50-49. Uh, in terms of the balance of power in the Senate, there's one election left to go. It is December 6th. It is Herschel Walker against Raphael Warnock. Now, Walker, according to his internal polls, are about a dead heat. But I think the inflection of Brian Kemp and his get-out-the-vote machine could be the difference. Every media outlet is working against Walker. You have the former President Obama coming to Georgia. When we come back, what's the reality on the ground? Eric Erickson, host of The Eric Erickson Show, from Georgia will join us. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here.
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. President Obama is a celebrity, and that seemed to be where Raphael Warnock is getting his money from, celebrities. But he's not going to win this race. I told people before, he may outraise me in money, but he, I guarantee he won't get more votes than I'm going to get. He voted against the Keystone Pipeline. He voted to have this open border. He voted for crime in the streets. And we can't have six more years of this. And there you go. That is uh, Herschel Walker weighing in uh, with me yesterday. And he's doing a lot of TV. Uh, Some say Warnock is out rallying him. Eric Eriks is on the ground over in Georgia. Knows all about the runoffs. We just went through this a couple of years ago. And he is the host of the Eric Erickson Show. Eric, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Brian. Where do you think the polls are at right now? You know, it's it's hard to say with early voting. The polling looks to be very close. I do think Warnock has been having way more rallies than Walker. His crowds have been bigger than Walker's. Uh, But the turnout in Republican areas of the state has actually been really impressive. Uh, The problem for Walker is that he underperformed all the other Republicans statewide by about 9% in the general election. The problem for Warnock is that he's got a D next to his name, and there are more Republicans in Georgia than there are Democrats. Well, that didn't seem to matter last time, as he shocked uh, Purdue. Uh, We'll see if it happens this time. You know, the the problem last time, though, was 427,205 Republicans who voted in the general election in 2020 just simply refused to go back and vote in the runoff last time. Uh, They're more motivated this time. The problem is there are some flaws on the Republican side that have have, kind of disincentivized some Republicans from going to vote, particularly suburban Republicans, kind of look at Walker and they're like, yeah, we tried in the general. Do we really need to go back? We're not going to win the Senate. I've been trying to make the case on my show in Georgia that if you win, the committees in the Senate are tied. It's easier to stop them from doing stuff. If you don't win, suddenly the Democrats get a majority in all the committees. So right now, I cannot believe the the roundabout attacks on only walkers. If Warnock walks on water uh, on just the main, the most mainstream media outlets in terms of his mental health issues, in terms of the abortion issues, in terms of his uh, not doing a million press conferences, you don't see any exploited, much exploitation of Warnock and the fact that his, the buildings that he owns, uh, seem to be problematic. They tends up uh, being basically slums, kicking out people who can't make small time payments. That affiliated with his church. Has he been effectively linked to that? Well, in conservative media, yeah, that, that's part of the problem. The, the the national and the local press have completely given Warnock a pass on virtually everything. Uh, they've been dismissive of the story. In fact, uh, the story of the building is very well documented, and the names of people who were evicted are very well documented. One of the local media outlets in Augusta, Georgia, uh, which is one of the larger metropolitan areas in the state, actually ran a story, we can't find anyone who was evicted. The Washington Free Beacon literally had the names of the people, and they denied that they could find anyone. So, yeah, a lot of media bias in favor of Warnock. He's been active in the state and and kissing the rings of the media for a long time before he got in. Uh, And, I mean, they clearly have a bias for him. So uh, we're talking to Eric Erickson. Eric, the other thing is Brian Kemp now is all in. You know, Herschel told me yesterday he's known him since he was 17, uh, that uh, the, he's known the Kemp family since he was 17, got into uh, politics much later after he became a pro player and a, and a business person. But Kemp says they evidently paid for his get-out-the-vote machine. What is that machine? Why was Kemp so successful? And will it transfer over now? That's what they're hoping. Uh, Brian Kemp 
outperformed Stacey Abrams on the ground in Georgia. He had a field operation in Georgia has 159 counties, and he had an organization in all 159 of them. They were able to find the Republicans, convince them to go vote, make sure they voted, make sure they early voted if possible. They're doing that for Walker. Just for perspective, they couldn't do that in the general election for Walker because federal campaign and, and there were money issues with, with regulations. Now they can in the runoff since Kemp's won. And he's handed his machine over to essentially the Senate Republicans to let them use it. It's well-oiled. He's got the same people in charge. They are focusing on early voting in a way Republicans didn't in the general election, and they clearly turned out uh, pretty significantly, which is good. Kemp knows how to win Georgia. The question again, though, is can you convince some of those Republicans who weren't enthusiastic about Walker to actually go vote for him, and they're hoping that's going to be possible. So I guess he lost to – Warnock by, uh, was it 35,000 votes, but underperformed Kemp by hundreds of thousands, 200,000? Yeah, he, he underperformed Kemp by 9%. It was it was about 100, 150,000 votes. He only lost to Warnock by about 35,000 votes. Can, so can you offset that? It is possible. Still going to be tough, but it's very possible. All right. So, Eric, I got to ask you, too, on Georgia, on, on the ground in Georgia, why was Kemp able to take the the Democratic superstar down, Stacey Abrams, who spent four years saying she really won that election? Well, you know, when she ran in, in 2018 and got very close to him, he was viewed as Donald Trump's guy. No one really knew him for who he was. In the last four years, he's been a very good governor. He's got a $2 billion surplus. He got people back to work. He opened the state of Georgia before DeSantis opened Florida, and people forget that. He refused to impose mask mandates. He got kids back in school. And Abrams is running four years later saying we need to put kids back in masks. We need to shut schools back down. We need to take all the money Brian Kemp put in the surplus and, and spend it on socially liberal things. And she never – I mean she never even – on her book tour came through Georgia. She went to Hollywood and filmed Star Trek instead. People turned out they got to know Brian Kemp, and they really liked him. And he – the moment he hit the ground in 2018 after he won, started building for 2022. Abrams didn't do that. She spent all the money on herself. Interesting. Lee Zeldin came out yesterday and said any Republican that wants to be successful has to go into the inner city has to go into where where all the blue voters are, where a lot of urban voters are. And he said, I don't care who listens, how many people show up, you got to go in there. It's true. The Republicans have just given up on uh, a lot of these urban voters. Why? How did they come to be? And is he right? Yeah, look, I think he is. One of the things people don't appreciate that Brian Kemp did in Georgia is he got elected and he started putting, uh, picking judges and district attorneys and sheriffs who lived in communities, and if it was a majority black community, that's who the majority – he picked a black judge, black sheriff, black DA. He said, I don't care that they're not going to vote for me. That's who the community is. That's who should represent them. Turns out the people thought, wow, he's really not that bad, and, and he got a really good percentage of the black vote away from Stacey Abrams because of it. Republicans can't be scared that you've got this constituency that historically votes Democrat. They're not doing it as much anymore, and they're starting to come our direction. So stop being scared and go talk to them. So I had, what was the reaction in Georgia, the fact that Donald Trump really didn't have the power? You know, we wanted Purdue to be the nominee. It didn't happen. He went after the secretary of state, Ratzenberger. Didn't, he got his job back. How much power does Trump have in the state? What does it mean for his fundraising when he announced last week? 
you know, he, he doesn't have any. People kind of forget it. If you go back to 2016 in the primary, Marco Rubio won the metro Atlanta area, all the counties that touch Fulton County, which is Atlanta. Rubio won. Um, and, and the Trump team always seemed oblivious to that. So you get to 2018, and suddenly the suburbs flip to the Democrats. In 2020, they stay flipped to the Democrats. And in 22, they come back for Kemp, but they won't come back for anybody Donald Trump has picked. That doesn't bode well for him picking up Georgia in 2024, which limits his electoral college options. And it also hurts him that Georgia's got a lot of big donors. I mean, you got Bernie Marcus, the founder of Home Depot, lives here. Used to be a big Trump donor, not so much anymore. So when Trump, why do you think Trump announced when he did? I, honestly, I, I think he announced for a couple of reasons. One, because Ken Griffin, the, the big billionaire hedge fund guy, announced he was coming out for DeSantis. And I think Trump wanted to stop other big donors from heading in that direction. The other reason is the RNC told him they can't pay the legal bills anymore. All of his $100 million is tied up in a leadership pack, which can't be spent on the candidate's legal problems. So you got to create a presidential account to move that money over so you can be able to spend it on your lawyers. So it was a legal thing. It wasn't anything illegal and a fundraising thing. Yeah, I, I think it was both. Um, he, he wants to fundraise, but also if he wants to spend campaign dollars on himself and his legal problems, he needed to announce he was running for president and start up a new presidential leadership fund so he can move all the money from his other group into the new group. Is Was he just being cheap, or does that play into why he didn't give more money for his candidates? <laughs> Brian, this is Trump. Yes, he's cheap. Um, he wants to use other people's money, particularly for these legal problems that come from Democrats harassing him um, because he successfully beat them in 2016, and he didn't want to have to spend his money on it. So, yeah, there is a cheapness to it, but also, I mean, I, I don't really blame him for wanting to do that. Uh, the problem is, I think when you look at Arizona, when you look at Georgia, when you look at Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan, if you lose those states as a Republican, all of them, that's 270 electoral college votes when you add them to what the Democrats already win, and that's all they need to win in 2024. So how does he mm-hmm. recover in Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan? Um, he's got issues he's got to sort out there with the electoral college if he wants to win. Absolutely. And uh, lastly, Eric, as we wrap up, it's probably the last time we talked before December 6th. Is this still up for grabs? Could you say the way they close could decide this election? Yeah, look, um, Walker has not in the last week been very aggressive. He needs to come out very hard right now, get people out to vote. His campaign thinks he doesn't have to do a lot of events. There's Republican motivation. If he can pull this off, you tie the Senate committees, the Republicans can tie Chuck Schumer in knots. You must have gone crazy when they called this whole election reform Jim Crow 2.0. You knew it wasn't, and they labeled it that way. And the turnout has proven that the Democrats made it up and the all-star game leaving— was uh, was foolhardy, only hurt the people that needed it most, and that's the downtown city of Atlanta. That's exactly right. The Republicans, Democrats, everybody turned out. The law worked well and really efficiently. Like I got a text message that my absentee ballot's already been counted. Didn't get that before this new law. Interesting. Eric Erickson, thanks so much. Always interesting. Thank Appreciate you. it. All right. Uh, thanks so much. Meanwhile, when we come back, your turn. one 408 7669 You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Me, I don't care if we're right. I just want to make bad things stop. And I don't just mean Kilmeade's haircuts. That is great. Gutfeld, was that the five or his show? That was his show. Right. Who watches that? Is that Eric or is that you, Allison? Watch um, When I have time, I try to always go back and find either good jokes or really any insults against you. Any insults yes. against me. I mean, that might even be open worthy. I don't necessarily think it's good. Oh, it's we, just an unnecessary shot. That is true. However, we haven't fully put it together yet. But from when you were on with him at the Patriot Awards that Friday, I mean, we have a whole montage of goodies that we need to put together. I did not realize that. Yes. That is my bad. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> no, thank him. Uh, I do notice that, you know, we're out on location. We get that a lot, right? What's the problem with you and Greg? People love the sort of the the rivalry, yet sort of like romance tension. Romantic tension? (laughs) I don't know anybody that thinks there's a romantic tension. Romantic, sort of like in a friend kind of way. That's more appropriate, if you don't mind me bringing that up. Yeah, (laughs) I feel fine. So I am not Mr. Crypto, uh, Crypto guy, and I never will be, and now I'm so glad I'm not. But what's going on with this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, I am so agitated by and outraged by. And then it went to the 10th power yesterday when this clown went on a show sponsored by the New York Times called Deal Book Summit, really aired on, I guess, the other business network. So he goes on for an interview, taking questions from the audience. Now, this guy is now was worth $30 billion. He's down, says he's got about $100,000 and only a bank card. All the money that people invested with him is gone. So they can see. Seems to be gone. He said, according to experts, an attorney at FTX now, his name is James Broly, you have witnessed probably one of the most abrupt and difficult collapses in the history of corporate America. Yeah, I would think so. Bankman Freed and Associates greenlighted lavish expenditures, including $300 million for real estate purchases in the Bahamas. Now, people are giving him money, hoping he'll grow it with crypto. He's investing in real estate for himself. For FTX and Alameda employees, he co-mingled the funds clearly into another uh, organization, financial organization that was lying about their, about their finances. FTX used deposits to pay Alameda Research creditors, a claim reportedly made by the former Alp- Alameda Research CEO, who he used to date, Carl Caroline Ellison, who's not exactly a looker, during a call in early November. Bankman Fried said uh, he was not aware... That was true, but said Almeida had a large open, a large position open on FTX that was over collateralized. You think so? Says there's something maybe even deeply wrong there, even which I wasn't even trying. This is this is quote. There is something even deeply wrong there, which I wasn't even trying. Like I wasn't spending any time or effort trying to manage risk at FTX. This is the CEO talking, and that was obviously a mistake. You think so? If I was been spending an hour a day thinking about risk management at FTX. I don't think that would have happened, and I don't feel good about that. So he doesn't feel good about it, but countless people are out of millions of dollars or even $10,000, which is millions to others who are, I guess, doing this for a living. So here is Sam Bankman-Fried speaking yesterday saying, I made some mistakes. Listen to the crowd at Cut 11. Clearly, I um, I made a lot of mistakes or, or things I would give anything to be able to do over again. Um, I didn't ever uh, try to commit fraud on anyone. I, I was excited about the prospects of FTX a month ago. Um, I saw it as a thriving, growing business. I was shocked by what happened this month. 
and you know reconstructing it uh where there are things i wish i had done differently so a crypto investor who lost big money at ftx crash was protesting bankman freed's appearance and who wouldn't be he said quote his name is anthony canelo he said the guy robbed me I lost over ten thousand dollars. I'm thirty six years old. Do you know how much money that is for me for myself? And this is this guy gets to talk. Everyone knows that he took customer funds. If you look at it, this is a classic scam. You have opaqueness of books. You have a so called charismatic leader. You have a top tier sponsor. This is outrageous. This is even allowed to speak here. One of the letters I got uh, read to you it was read to that, and he got into even more detail about other people that lost everything listening to him. So he gets to speak, and he gets to speak out. What I'm fascinated by is the Larry Fink's of the world. They say they're geniuses in the high finance world. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink acknowledged that his company invested $24 million in FTX, so investor money, and predicted that many crypto companies would not be around for much longer. On Wednesday, one of the world's largest crypto exchanges, Kraken, announced it was laying off 1,100 workers. BlockFi filing for bankruptcy Last week, it was invested in FTX. Now, the company's new CEO, John Ray III, said in bankruptcy filings in his 40-year career, he has never seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information. The broader industry consequences also continue to play out. So he was excited. He wishes he had a quality control and a risk management. He didn't have either. There was no one looking over his shoulder, but Tom Brady and Giselle were able to advertise for him. President Clinton and Tony Blair were able to put him on stage with him. He was able to take some money and put millions of dollars into Democratic causes, the second biggest donor. And now he's a phony, and he sits in the Bahamas saying, I didn't do anything wrong. Don't condemn smashing grabs where they grab 5,000, 10,000, and tell me that he's okay to be out in his own. Same thing, only worse. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much. Keep it here. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. I have to say that we have the nicer Christmas tree than 30 Rock. It's bigger. It's more flamboyant. But it's a tourist attraction. Ours is a patriotic attraction. We are red, white, and blue here at Fox. Uh, and, of course, they're very red, white, and blue at 77 WABC just across the way. Uh, Mark Thiessen is going to be with us in a matter of moments. Jason Chaffin is at the bottom of the hour. A lot of intrigue about Kevin McCarthy, why he's struggling to get over 218. I don't understand what the Democrat, what the Republicans are looking for. I don't see any heir apparent that's not even close. John Boehner was in the halls yesterday. What was he doing? He left pretty angry. We know that. He thought he was being upended by other Republicans. Maybe he was right. So let's see if we can get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So look, uh, he's been there. He's been to the border. uh, And since he took office... When when did he go to the border? Since he took office, the President Biden has been uh, taking action to fix our immigration system and secure our border. Really? Looming southern border blitz. Perhaps Biden is calling up Trump policies now. I get no joke to stem the imminent invasion including kicking out all single males. I truly believe he has no choice. 
What say you? Number two. Really, I um, I made a lot of mistakes or, or things I would give anything to be able to do over again. Um, I didn't ever uh, try to commit fraud on anyone. But you did. Disgraced crypto klepto Sam, uh, Sam uh, Bankman-Fried goes live and uncensored inexplicably to explain how he lost billions of investors' money, big and small. The bigger question is, why is he not in jail or even charged with fraud? Where is the outrage? We'll examine. Number one. Democrats are picking on Elon Musk. Do you... What's your reaction to that? Elon Musk is doing just fine. One human being should not be able to go into a dark room by himself and decide, oh, that person gets heard from, that person doesn't. Big tech, big battle for the hearts and free minds. First stop, Twitter. One thing is clear. The left seems scared to death of Elon Musk. Makeover, takeover. Is it because of what Twitter has concealed or what it's about to be revealed about Twitter in the past, which will not happen again? I'm not the only one who had a ton of followers. There's no more shadow banning that I can tell. And there's uh, about 70,000 people back online, back as users. And usage is now up. And he, one thing is pretty effective. Elon Musk has put Twitter front and center. Critics are lining up and supporters are signing up. Let's go to Mark Thiessen. Mark, why do you think so many Democrats are focusing on Twitter and so many Hollywood celebrities? It's it's mind boggling to me. I mean, the freak out over over Elon Musk, the left controls literally every other social media platform in the country, except for TikTok, which is controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. So there is one social media platform that they do not control and they can't countenance that Uh, this is, you know, when before Elon Musk came uh, online before he took over Twitter. The, the, and to this day, the, uh, the Ayatollah Khamenei has five Twitter accounts in five different languages. Vladimir Putin has a Twitter account where he spews anti-Ukraine propaganda. You've got the dictators of Venezuela and Cuba who have Twitter accounts. The Taliban has a Twitter account. Uh, the, the, uh, I mean, every, every, the, every, every enemy of America and dictator in the world has a Twitter account. And that's all fine. That, we, that can't be censored. But the New York Post reporting on the Hunter Biden laptop, we got to censor that. <laughs> and, and you know, the, the lab leak theory, discussion of the possibility that the, the, that the, that the virus, coronavirus came from a Chinese lab, that can't be discussed. There was so much censorship on this, uh, selective censorship on this site. And now that, he, that, that Musk is coming in and, and ending the censorship and restoring these people that these left-wing people, uh, to the leaders of Twitter had deplatformed, all of a sudden people are freaking out and saying this is a threat to democracy. It's, it's absurd. So listen to Janet Yellen, who first said she doesn't have, any, doesn't have any control over things like social media. Then I guess she got a good talking to. Cut to. We have an agency within Treasury called CFIUS that um, does look at transactions uh, that involve foreign investment in the United States to see if they um, create national security and this risk. Relates- I'm not going to say specifically what we are or aren't looking at, but if there are such risks, it would be appropriate for, C- right. for CFIUS to have a look. What is she getting at, that there's Saudi Arabians have invested in this prior to him even getting it? So you know what the the real threat to our democracy is? It doesn't come from Elon Musk's control of Twitter. It comes from Xi Jinping's control of TikTok. I mean, if we if we want to have a free national freak out about a social media app, we should be talking about TikTok. 
which the Chinese Communist Party is using to collect reams of data on 140 million Americans. 42% of the U.S. population is, is on TikTok. And the Chinese Communist Party, it's not, that, it's not that they're just following your teenage daughter's dance videos and recording stuff like that. They, they have access to all of your contacts. They have access to your GPS location. They have your, they, it's not just what you're doing on their app. Once that app is on your phone, they are allowed to, they can follow your keyboard swipes off app. So they can, so when you use your phone, if you have TikTok on your phone and you log into your bank account and type in your username and password, they collect that. If you, if you, if you use that and send an encrypted message, from a text message from somebody like that, they don't have to break the encryption because they can track your keyboard strokes and get your messages. They are collecting data on 42% of the U.S. population, uh, and, and, and people are just fine with that. There's no problem. No, one, no, one's, no one's freaking out about that. Why the hell are we talking about Elon Musk and Twitter when the Chinese Communist Party has infiltrated the, the iPhones of 140 million Americans and collecting. Remember, remember when we had like a Mueller probe because the Russian internet trolls put some fake ads on Facebook? They didn't do anything close to this. But yet, and 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 what are the Democrats doing about this? Joe Biden advertised on Twitter, on TikTok for his campaign. He brought TikTok influencers into the White House to, to before the election. What are we doing about this? If you want to, I, there's a there is a social media threat to American democracy, but it's not Twitter; it's TikTok. Here's what Senator Tom Cotton said: Cut eight, cut uh, ten. TikTok is like a kind of digital fentanyl or Trojan horse on the phones of America's youth. If you have it on your phone, you should delete it and then probably get a new phone as well. And these former members of Congress and congressional aides should know better than lobbying for a company that is directed by, at the behest of, the Chinese Communist Party, that is part of its massive surveillance network that is going to give access to hundreds of millions of Americans' phones going for, today and going forward if it's not removed from those phones, if it's not banned nationally in this country. So here's the thing. you got Democrats who say what you say, like Senator Mark Warner. He's worried about it. Yep. So now there yep. could be bipartisan movement on this. But as usual, Joe Biden's never available for ESCA at a press conference, and it never comes up. How, how does he feel about the Chinese infiltrating into American, Americans' lives at this rate right before our eyes? Well, keep in mind what Mark, Mark Warner said. He was on Fox News Sunday, and he said Donald Trump was right. TikTok is an enormous threat. When a senior Democrat says the words Donald Trump was right, you know that this is true, right? Absolutely. The, 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 this is this just a reality. And 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 Senator Cotton is a hundred percent correct because the, the the Chinese Communist Party is collecting pattern of life information on on American citizens. They know, so they have data. They're just hoovering this stuff up onto servers that they can that they can then go through it. And what that means is if you ever contacted a divorce lawyer because you were thinking about divorcing your life wife but changed your mind, they know that. If you were having an affair behind your spouse's back, uh, they know that. If you were watching porn when you said you were watching reruns of Friends, they know that. And what can they do with that information? Well, first of all, if you, if young, if young person who is doing it, some of those things ever, ever decides to join the military or rises up through, you know, over the, they have a long view of this up through national security ranks. They can, that's compromise. They can use that to, to influence them, but they just don't care about national security information. They're spying on us 
for they, they're the, engaged in the greatest intellectual property theft in America in, in world history. If you rise up in a company where they want information, they can very easily just pull you aside and say, you know, you know that uh, OnlyFans video you were watching the other day. Where, uh, you know, at that, I think you might want to tell us a little bit about this new this new technology that your company is developing. And they, they'll have they have compromat they will have compromat on millions and millions and millions of Americans. And then the other thing they can do is they can if if 42% of the population is on this app, a large number of Americans are getting their news from TikTok. And the Chinese Communist Party controls TikTok. So if you know, I, I promise you that the that if you wanted to go on TikTok and see videos of the protests happening in Beijing right now, you're going to be have a very hard time finding it. If you want information on what happened in Tiananmen Square, not going to be there. They can censor the information and control the information flow into the into the into the feeds and 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 curate the flow into specific people's feeds in order to shape our information operations against our country. Why would we let the Communist Party of China have that kind of influence over American society? Yeah, it's going to be hard to push back on that, except for it's so popular. People are not going to be, you know, besides China and the influence it might have over politicians or not. If you talk to anyone 12 to 20, the number one app they're on is TikTok. And there's just no Instagram, Snapchat that gets their interest like TikTok. Well, we'll develop some. If it, that's why the government has to ban it. The government has to do. We and by the way, we can do this because we did it with Huawei. Huawei was in the. It was in the process of of uh, building something Another good like thing a Trump third did. of the world's five G five G capability. And the, and the Trump administration came down and said and banned Huawei. And all of a sudden, Huawei is, is is going out of business practically. You know, we can do the same thing with TikTok. And guess what? You know what? I, I, I'm not on TikTok, but I've got Instagram, and they've got something called Instagram Reels, which all the kids think is, is, you know, is, is uncool. But guess what? It would become very cool if there was no TikTok to go to. They would make it cool. Or somebody else would come up with it. I mean, there's nothing unique about what TikTok does. All right, Someone well, else yeah, develop a, a, I just want to get you another topic. find something else. I, I hope sure. so. I can't do that. But I just want to get Hakeem Jeffries is the now minority <laughs> leader in the House, uh, and he thinks maybe a a future speaker. Here's what he included in his opening remarks, Cut 21. We look forward to finding opportunities to partner with the other side of the aisle and work with them whenever possible. But we will also push back against extremism whenever necessary. So does anything change without Nancy Pelosi or Nancy Pelosi is the shadow speaker and with him front and center? That's that's a hopeful statement, but I I, I just don't know. Uh, you know, we, 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 I think there's been so much there's so, been so much partisanship on the part of House Democrats that they're going to have they're going they have a lot of proving to do. But here's the thing, they have no choice because you know guess what there are no more Democrat only spending bills anymore. They can't ram through their agenda by bypassing the Republicans. So anything they get done legislatively has to have Republican sign off. Uh, so you know Joe Biden campaign on a promise to unite the country, bring the two sides together, do things for the American people, unite us. And he failed utterly to do that in his first two years in office. Uh, and if he wants to get anything done in his next two, he's going he's to have to follow, follow that, uh, that lead and do things in a bipartisan way. Prediction on Herschel Warnock? Oh, uh, gosh, I don't know. It, you know it, it, I'll tell you, it, what, what we're, because the Senate's no longer in play, 
I think that hurts Herschel uh, a lot. Because uh, if the Senate were in play again, then there would be all the world's attention would be uh, coming in. And I don't think people realize that the difference between a, uh, a 49-51 Senate and a 50-50 Senate is enormous, you know, in terms of the committees, in terms of the uh, what they can do alone, uh, in terms of nominations and all the rest of it. But that's a very hard message to, to send to the, uh, the American people. And the reason he's not a senator today, Brian, quite frankly, is because uh, almost 300,000 people in Georgia uh, voted for Brian Kemp and didn't vote for Herschel Walker. Um, and Kemp is now trying to convince those people to go back and vote for Herschel. It's an uphill battle. Um, but, you know, we, we got to learn the lessons of this election, which is we got to we got to pick better right. candidates. I predict Herschel will win. I hope he does. Right. I hope you're right. Uh, right. Then the committees are ten ten, and they have to the the co chair. And I think it would be a much exactly. a much be positive. I think he's he's a lot smarter than people let on, too. I think he'll do a great job. You've interviewed him a lot, so you so I, I I take your word for it because you spent a lot of time with him, and you've you've done uh, yeoman's work that no one else has done in terms of getting getting under the real Herschel Walker. So I, I I hope you're right, and I hope he wins. All right. So Mark hopes I'm right, but he didn't think say I think you're right. So I just said <laughs> you were parsing your words. How dare you? Mark Thiessen, kill me out on a limb. Be careful with you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mark. 1-866-408-7669. I'll come back. I'll take your calls. Bottom of the hour, we open up with Jason Chaffetz, and we talk about what's going on with Speaker. Uh, why isn't it Speaker McCarthy? You'd be surprised what he has to say about that. Don't move. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, you know, it's always great talking to, uh, to get that insight from Mark T. Snow is a deep thinker, great columnist, uh, Washington Post, uh, and, of course, commentator. Uh, I'm really intrigued and optimistic about uh, Herschel Walker. I don't think anyone should read the headlines of what you're seeing in uh, on uh, Drudge or anywhere else and think that Herschel's reeling. He's not. He's still got his nucleus of support there. He's just got to grow it enough to win in Georgia, and I think he could do it. Next, I think Brian Kemp is the key. But number two is the other story is, you know, I go over and we talk about crime, especially here in New York and in Chicago, and we see the the horrible situation on the birthplace of smash and grab in San Francisco. Then I see these crypto losers who are just totally living a life of uh, hedonism while screwing everybody out of their deposits and and actually duping the, some of the most successful business people in the world, like Larry Fink of BlackRock and the most successful athletes in the world, like Tom Brady, and getting to advertise for him. And I keep wondering over and over again when this guy's going to go to jail. And I'm talking about uh, and I'm talking about Sam Bankman-Fried. This guy not only is not going to jail, he's ignoring his lawyer's input, and he's going public. Case in point yesterday. Listen to this comment. How concerned are you about criminal liability at this point? So I don't think that, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't personally think that I have, uh, you know, but I, I think the real answer is that's not, it sounds weird to say, but, but it, I think the real answer is that's not what I'm focusing on. I mean, look, I, I've had a bad month. Um, this has not been any fun for me, but... That's not what matters here. $34 billion he's worth now, 100000 and he had a bad month, and they're laughing. Obviously, people in that audience didn't lose money. I mean, this is Bernie Madoff to the 10th power. And then you see who, I don't know who's, where well, BlockFi, anybody you know? They're filing for back, uh, bankruptcy last week. 
On Wednesday, the world's largest crypto exchange, Kraken, announced it was laying off 1,100 workers. Uh, I told you about 24 million loss from investors who are at BlackRock at FTX. So FTX a month ago was one of the most successful companies, and he, one of the biggest donors to Democratic causes. And I guess he does silently to some Republicans to keep them at bay, perhaps. But now he's hoping that all those Democrats that he fed money to in order for their own self-preservation are not going to push for him to be uh, extracted from the Bahamas and brought to the U.S., I mean, you talk about white and blue-collar crime. This guy's as bad as it gets. Picture walking into uh, middle-class homes and taking from them $30,000, $50,000, $10,000. Would that be okay with you? Of course not. That's how outraged you should be. The same way. Just because he looks harmless, he's done great harm. And stay in a crypto. Jason Chaffetz next. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, with me right now, uh, Jason Chaffetz. Uh, Jason, former uh, Oversight Committee chair, and now he is uh, more important now. He's a Fox News contributor. Jason, first off, why is Kevin McCarthy having problems getting the votes for speaker? What is the issue? We saw John Boehner in the hall yesterday. Uh, there's pictures of him, video of him. What was he doing there? And the problem is you got to get all of them. That that that's the hard part. And look, they've had some conflicts with the. Well, the they expect him at two twenty two, right? Right, he's at two twenty. They expect him to get those two more seats. So two twenty two. But you still got to get two eighteen. And and when you have five people who publicly say, "I will never ever vote," Andy Biggs, Congressman Good, uh, Matt Gates, you know, Matt Gates, uh, yeah, Good. Um, but the problem is these people going back to their constituents. Their constituents don't want them to vote for Kevin McCarthy. And a lot of these people, having dealt with Kevin McCarthy, don't like the internal rules. They feel that it's too power-centric to whoever the leader is or the speaker is. And I, I'm not here to try to put the finger on the scale one direction or another. The problem for him is fundamentally is he's got to get to 218. Now, Nancy Pelosi, you know, she had to break some knuckles on the way along the way. Uh, to get there, and she, she was, was able to. She get, had a hard time. She had a hard time. She was able to do it, but this is the big challenge for Kevin McCarthy. We really won't know until January third. I mean, so if if he doesn't, he says. No, I said one thing is key. He said, "I'm not pulling out." He made it. Let everybody know, "I'm not leaving." Because last, so last time, he, time did. he did. Last time he did, and he and he probably pulled out. You know, he, he probably did that too soon. Did he have your vote? No, and and I t- the the problem I had in the time beforehand is I said. Uh, it, John Boehner became speaker. I got more trouble at home on that vote than anything else I had ever done in well, Congress. What was wrong with John Boehner? Well, I said, I said, well, look, he was our nominee. I voted for our nominee. And somebody said, well, who else ran against him? I said, nobody. He ran unopposed. The place came unglued. And that's where I said then it came up again and John Boehner was going to be up. And I'm like, we're not do, uh, doing this again when John Boehner was going to leave. We're not going to do this again where he's unopposed. I'll put my hat on the ring. So at least I can say I tried. I, I didn't have a full expect. I was playing to win, but I, you, you kind of look at the writing on the wall and say, all right, I'm probably going to lose. But at least people would have a choice. Then you can galvanize behind somebody. But then the person who didn't want it 
Paul Ryan said, yes, uh, I will do it if you, if you tell me I have to do it. He went it. right to the Freedom Caucus. Well, and the Freedom Caucus, he said, listen, are you guys going to vote for me? You, you have to vote for everybody. Like, I, but it went to the person who didn't want it is the point. He wasn't running. He said he didn't want to do it. But I think the perception in the caucus at the time was, look, he had just been the vi- the nominee for vice president. He knew the place inside and out. He was probably the best person on entitlements and spending and budgets and everything else. And, of course, the, the conference got behind him. Um, Kevin McCarthy's problem and challenge is how do you get those same people to come around and, and vote for him? Uh, I also want to bring you to something else that was news. The Democrats did rally around Hakeem Jeffries as the minority yeah, leader. Yeah. And the other person that's driving them crazy is Clyburn. He's 80-something years old and will not leave. Yeah. And he said it to everybody, well, we're going to leave together. Me, Steny Hoyer, and Nancy Pelosi. He's like, yeah, you guys can leave. I'm going to stay. Yeah. I mean, how much do you hate your family if you're staying around at 80-something years old to go from Washington to South Carolina on a daily basis? Yeah, you know, get in, serve, and get out. But uh, Cicilline, the congressman out of Rhode Island, has stepped forward, and that's a real challenge. I mean, the, in the because he says he's I didn't know he was gay, and he says the LGBTQ community needs to be represented. Um, I guess that's one argument. Um, I, I served with him in the in the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, he's tenacious in his approach. Super nice guy, and in, in, in person, I think a lot of people within. The caucus and Congress in general like him. Um, he, he, I believe he was the mayor of Providence prior. I, I may be getting the city wrong, but I believe he was the mayor prior. Um, and he's going to make a case. Now, they have different caucuses within their caucus. They have the Congressional Black Caucus, of which Clyburn will probably continue to get their support. But can he go out and get enough votes? I don't know how that vote goes, but it's an interesting challenge. Hakeem Jeffries, sorry, this is a little excerpt from his speech, Cut 21. We look forward to finding opportunities to partner with the other side of the aisle and work with them whenever possible. But we will also push back against extremism whenever necessary. Right, uh, shot at Trump. Uh, so what do you think of Hakeem Jeffries? What do you know about him? How do you think he's, how, how will he lead? Um, I served with him in the Congress. I served with him on the Judiciary uh, uh, Committee. I co-sponsored bills with Hakeem Jeffries. Um, he's an exceptionally nice person. He is radical left, for, probably further left than Nancy Pelosi. I mean, his progressive agenda, there's a reason why the blue dog Democrats of the years past, they're gone. The, these moderates out there that would work with Republicans on budget matters and defense matters and that sort of stuff. Th- those people are not there. Think about it. They're putting up a Northeast, uh, you know, New York City liberal person. They coupled him. The number two person is from Massachusetts. This is, again, the Democratic Party that is of the coastal elites. And I, I he read those words. I don't know if he believes that in his heart. I think he knows that there's a battle royale when you're in the in the minority, they're going to argue about everything, and they're going to push a progressive agenda that I think most people can't relate to. Uh, well, it's very interesting because New York has now got the majority leader in the Senate, and now they have a the the most powerful Democrat is from New York. Why is that? Why does that not matter? If I was someone in California, I go really because New York and California are radically different. Texas, 
you know, why wouldn't I want somebody with a little bit to give me another part, another region to get a perspective? Well, how about middle America? How about the, the South? I mean, it's just they don't have that balance on the Democratic side of the aisle because I think their power and their strength is sort of that San Francisco, uh, New York, Massachusetts. You know, it, it there's a reason why stereotypes become stereotypes. And, and that's today's Democratic Party. Well, I got to bring it to something else. Uh, you have an area of oversight. Does oversight care about the Bernie Madoffs of the world, the scams of the world, uh, the politicians that took big donations from a guy that turns out to be totally corrupt that we're witnessing right now. And I'm talking about, of course, FTX and their corrupt uh, leader. Three names, lots of chins. Um, His name is uh, uh, Bankman Freed. And this guy came out when he should be in jail at the New York Times Deal Book Summit to talk about how shocked he was to lose everything, his collapse. But he sees no fraud or unethical charges there. Yeah, he said he wasn't trying to lose money. Uh, I think the Financial Services Committee within the House and the Senate really should take this on. They can make this a bipartisan uh, approach. It, it's a fascinating um, discussion. They ought to dive deep into that. You've got Gary Gensler, who's uh, you know trying to regulate this, and you've got people like Cynthia Lummis, the senator from Wyoming, who really strongly believes in it. it I, I think it's it hits all the check marks. And yes, Congress absolutely should be diving into this. And this is a good case study to go in and find it because a lot of people lost a lot of money. When you look at the fact that this guy was getting all this money and do people like Tom Brady, Giselle, the CEO, Larry uh, Fink of BlackRock, all these others, how was he able to do it at 30 years old? Certainly not an impressive look going on. A bad guy wears baggy jeans and baggy shirts. And according to a lot of reports, in a polyamorous relationship it was always popping Ritalin uh, and Adderall. So this guy, Sam Beckman Free, is now on a media tour to try to get ahead of all this and try to get ahead of being charged. I think he's getting a total pass so far because it's a white-collar crime. But if you're going to be upset that somebody took $1,100 from CVS in a smashing grab from a jewelry store, how could you not be upset at this? Well, you know, some of those names, I don't think anybody cries any tears when, you know, somebody like a Tom Brady loses some money on a on a flyer like this. I think a lot of people invested this in trying to get rich quick and, and not adding real value. I, I, I don't quite get the cryptocurrencies. I haven't personally invested in it because... I heard uh, Warren Buffett talking about it. He's like, you know, why would I do that? I don't get anything. If I buy something else, I actually have something tangible. There's nothing tangible that they're selling here. And you talk about the fallout. Uh, This is how it happened. The crypto king's vast empire came tumbling down when the trade publication, the crypto trade publication called Coindesk, published an article raising concerns about the solvency of Bankman Freed's businesses. That's on November 2nd. Within 48 hours, the whole thing had collapsed (laughs) from $33 to zero. He said, when you go back to 2019, FTX and Alameda were very connected in a number of ways. He was using one to pay the other when one didn't even earn anything. But he's taking funds that maybe Jason Chaffetz gives and gives it over to Alameda to a girl that he's dating whose company he says she said was worth something was worth something else. This is like a bad after school special as if it was a 11th grade investment project. And I would fail everybody. But yet they they actually do Bill Clinton, Tony Blair, Tom Brady, uh, Matt Damon. It's unbelievable. 
Well, you know, when you make investments and they have these mutual funds and you go with a, a big trading house, they do do a lot of research and due diligence. They dive deep into these companies. And I don't I don't know, evidently with this company, they didn't quite dive deep enough because they thought that this was just going to go to the moon and go fast. And, and you know, they took a flyer on it. I want you to say I think there's something else involved in it. I think they're the number two donor outside George yeah. Soros. The company was, and this guy individually, to the Democratic Party. Here's Tucker last night, cut 14. Some people, the New York Times has explained, have views that are so reprehensible. These people are physically off limits. You cannot be in the same room with people like that. You can't talk to them. You can't ask them questions. Their opinions are like smallpox, communicable and deadly. These are the thought criminals, and thought crimes are the only crimes that matter. Other crimes, not such a big deal. Murder and rape and carjacking. As the New York Times has often told us, people who do, do those things are the victims of your racism. So they deserve compassion. So, by the way, do good liberals who stray outside the lines. Good liberals can always be forgiven, even when the things they've done are objectively very, very bad, like tanking the U.S. economy or stealing billions from investors and using it to buy Bahamian real estate or bringing the entire world to the brink of nuclear war and getting rich while you do it. So... The New York Times puts him on a forum. He's allowing him to rehab himself. There's no genius in this guy. It's how Elon Musk worked with SpaceX, worked with Tesla, failed with Twitter. This is no track record of success. His mom and dad were professors of economics. Well, you know what? The people that made those investments are going to have to live with those decisions. You know, buyer beware. Uh, I don't. I, I don't have a huge amount of but sympathy. But I want to say, why is this guy allowed to stay in the Bahamas? Well, I, I, you know, where and how do you prosecute him? Where would he maybe be charged? I don't know the answer to that. I'm not saying he should get off. I think somebody is, there's something fraudulent that has gone on here. It just seems like that on the surface. But uh, this is that whole new world we're living in where a lot of the laws and understanding are behind. You know, we deal a lot with um, technology in Congress. And I argued many times, you guys, you don't even know what a DNS redirect is. We were dealing with SOPA and PIPA back in the day, the stop online piracy. There wasn't a nerd on our panel. I actually supported with the Democrats to create a, a... an office that could inform Congress to try to keep up with the language and the understanding. I think Congress is woefully behind on this and they're woefully behind on tech. Also the whole thing of giving to these woke causes. He even said behind the scenes, it's a joke. It's nothing real about it. I just do it to play the game. So he now appears to be trying to create a new images founder who generally cared about his customers, but was incompetent rather than who had intentionally committed fraud. Can you imagine when your defense is I'm incompetent? He said, he goes, I should have had a risk management board. Yeah. Uh, no kidding. You think so? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just astounded by some of these statements. My my ignorance is my defense, which is probably true but to a degree, but it's also fraudulent. Jason Chaffetz, one more segment. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you have plans to visit the southern border? Uh, I've been there before and I haven't. I mean, I know it well. I guess I should go down, but the... But the whole point of it is I haven't had a whole hell of a lot of time to get down. But uh, 
I plan on, now my wife Jill has been down. Why did President Biden say he has been to the border? Well, Peter, uh, as you may have seen, there's been uh, reporting that he uh, did drive through the border when he was on the campaign trail in 2008. So he lies about so much uh, from getting a full ride, athletic scholarship, playing four years of football in college. Not true. Uh, Being at the top of his class. Not true. Being at the top of his law class. Not true. The only guy in his class to get a full scholarship. That's not true. Was at the border. I was at the border. I can't at the border. I wasn't at didn't have any time. I couldn't go to the border because there's been a hurricane. We know that he could get to the border. He can get anywhere. The only time he talked about the border, Jason Chaffetz, is when he thought there were Haitians being whipped by white Border Patrol agents. Then he condemned them and swore they were going to be prosecuted. Yeah, well, he knows a lot about it because, you know, he read about some some books. They, it's embarrassing. The guy's been in office for, what, 50-plus years? He's had plenty of time to go to Paris. I don't know why he hasn't had time to go to Brownsville or, or no, Gallus or... Yuma, I, I just, it's an embarrassment. So goodbye, Title don't 42. Lie about it. Right, I know. Bill, uh, Bill Mouzian writes this, but Title 42 is about to go away. That means that it gives you a right to turn people around because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Now the pandemic they claim is over. Bill Malusian writes this, over 105,000 illegal crossings in the El Paso sector in the last two months, including 2,000 of the last 24 hours, up 257% over last year. And this is with Title 42 in place. Griff Jenkins yesterday, El Paso sector, 1,926 migrant encounters in the last 24 hours, bringing the total to 105,000, up 257%, as he said. So this, they, they're down at the border. Where they're watching this happen. Where do you think they go from here? Because the administration has this great idea. Let's bring air marshals and put them at the border. The stupidest idea. You know, they got some desk jockeys there at uh, Homeland Security that live and work in D.C. They could bring them down before you start taking people off uh, uh, planes, off of airplanes when there is a threat that is still out there. You know, it's just this time when people get a little bit um, they kind of get lulled back to sleep that terrorists take advantage of. And and, and we can't take our eye off the ball to think that there are not terrorists out there that, you know, would take down this country if they could. Uh, it's just terribly naive. And look, what bothers me about this is that you have tens of thousands, you got 20,000 plus Border Patrol agents, and they, this administration will not go meet with them, listen to them, pay attention to them. How many times have you interviewed Brandon Judd at the Border Patrol can't Council? Can't do it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I can't do it anymore. I'm so done it's with the this story. Same story over and over again, but they're in. They are trying to wave the red flag and the air of desperation these people have in this administration. I do think that they know they're going to get exposed a lot by actually having a congressional hearing about this. It has been malpractice that this Congress, the de- run by the Democrats for two years, never even had a hearing on this. Stuff. So Dave Londo, the president of the Air Marshal National, uh, National Council, says the rank-and-file air marshals are going to refuse to be deployed or and risk termination. You're almost going to have a mutiny of federal agencies, which is unheard of. That's how bad it is. There's an actual report saying they've got to take some of the Donald Trump policies. I think it would be great, but it would be too too humbling for President Biden to do that. Jason, thanks so much. Thank you. Go U.S. Go U.S. It's going to be a great game. Saturday, 10 o'clock. Jason will be watching. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by Senator Tom Cotton and Jonathan Turley. It's going to be great. Today, if the French president decides he wants to come to town, he's going to be traveling around, visiting with the president of the United States and the vice president yesterday. And he also went out of his way to comment that our Green Deal might be good for us, but not good for business and not good for your partners. No kidding. It's not good for us. I got to see if uh, Macron wants to be on Fox and Friends, maybe as a guest host, because that's exactly what we've been saying. But I guess the American people weren't paying attention. So before I get to Jonathan and all the things legal uh, from what's happening with uh, Twitter to what's happening with the former president, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. So look, uh, he's been there. He's been to the border. uh, And since he took office. When when did he go to the border? Since he took office, the President Biden has been uh, taking action to fix our immigration system and secure our border. Uh, there you go. Uh, not true. None of it. Uh, he continues to lie about it. It's weird. Looming southern border blitz with the goodbye of Title 42. It's hello, all of Central and South America and anybody else who wants out of their country. There is something that they could do. Implement the Trump policies. And guess what? According to Axios, they just might. Number two. Clearly, I, um, I made a lot of mistakes or, or things I would give anything to be able to do over again. Um, I didn't ever uh, try to commit fraud on anyone. Okay, you're forgiven. Disgraced crypto klepto Sam Bankman-Fried goes live and uncensored to explain how he lost billions of investors' money. The bigger question is, why is this guy not in jail? I'll ask Mr. Turley. Number one. Democrats are picking on Elon Musk. Do you... What's your reaction to that? Elon Musk is doing just fine. One human being should not be able to go into a dark room by himself and decide, oh, that person gets heard from, that person doesn't. (laughs) Big tech, big battle. Battle for the hearts and free minds. First stop, Twitter. One thing is clear that left seems scared to death of the Elon Musk makeover takeover. Is it because of the Twitter has concealed or what is about to be revealed? And what is legitimate free speech? We're going to discuss with Jonathan Turley. Jonathan, why do you think, uh, with all your years of experience, that even the, from the press secretary to, to Elizabeth Warren, they seem to be outraged that Elon Musk is doing what he's doing with Twitter? Well, I have never seen anything like this in decades of being in Washington, D.C. I mean, it is a complete mobilization of corporate, business, government figures. And they have declared total war on Twitter. And the reason is quite obvious, that Twitter is the greatest threat that the establishment has faced uh, since the Trump election. I mean, they, the, you know, Trump represented a total outsider in that sense. Uh, but this is far more serious uh, for the establishment. The whole point of controlling speech through censorship, is it has to be complete. You can't have an alternative. And that's one of the reasons why you saw Democratic members trying to pressure cable carriers to drop Fox News, uh, because it doesn't work. You can have all the other networks, but if there is an alternative, they're just a click away. And the same is true with print. But when it came to social media, they were unbelievably successful. And so now, not only is that threatened, but Musk is threatening to reveal 
all of the efforts that were made uh, to continue this censorship system. And the Twitter censorship system was arguably the the greatest in the world. I mean, it it, it dwarfed uh, the censorship ministries of many countries. So this ex-Twitter executive, Yoel Roth, came out in an interview that's going to be fully aired on Friday. He was head of Twitter's uh, trust and safety until he quit last month uh, when, when Musk took over. He said, um, he said this. The former Twitter executive uh, said that the laptop he admitted uh, banning the laptop, the Hunter Biden's infamous laptop was, uh, story has admitted was a mistake more than two years later. So he acknowledged that the social media giant had interfered uh, in the election, that according to Musk, because of Yoel Roth's revelation, and more is going to come out. He says this, we didn't know what to believe. We didn't know what was true. There was smoke. And ultimately for me, it didn't reach the place where I was comfortable removing the content from Twitter. But it set off early signals of my finely tuned 8 APT28 hack and leak uh, campaign alarm bells. So he just froze it. So why do you think that, you know, last week was CBS, two months ago was Washington Post, then it was the New York Times, all saying that laptop story was real and it was all saying authentic. Why are they doing this? Well, you know, the old expression that success and victory has a thousand fathers and failure is an orphan. And they're facing a colossal failure. The worst thing in the world is for censors is when the censorship stops. And the truth comes out. And so all of these media organizations are positioning themselves. So at least they could say, well, we ultimately did admit that it was authentic, even though it was two years later. And it's rather pathetic to watch. But what's interesting about Roth's statement is that it's so revisionist. You know, when the laptop first broke, a number of us wrote columns saying, you know, there's an interesting thing about this laptop. One is the Biden campaigns not denying that it was uh, Hunter's laptop. They just are making no comment at all. And then second, some of the people referred to in these emails have confirmed that they did get these emails. So they're self-authenticating. That was enough for most media organizations to pour into this issue. So what we now know is that even in Twitter, high-ranking people said, we really don't have a convincing case to bury this story, and yet they did. And so the question is why? Why was the default less free speech? Why was the default to yeah. kill a story before an election? How about you just making a phone call? Hey, Devin Archer, yeah, hi. I have an email here. Is this from you? Because I'm wondering right. what's authentic or not. Um, Mr. Hunter, you, are you there? Your dad wants you to pick up because we got to find out if that laptop is real. We had some personal pictures here that we didn't even think existed but showed just benign family pictures. Seems to be only could be yours. There was no, there was no old-fashioned follow-up uh, before the digital age overwhelmed us. So, yeah, and, th- and they're just trying to get ahead of it to say well, I was wrong then but I'm right now. Yeah, and it's not going to work. I mean, the thing is, you had the the heads of CNN and MSNBC in one of the most pathetic displays I've seen in years. And recently they said, oh, you know, one of them said, well, we didn't cover it because Hunter wasn't arrested. Really? Was that the reason (laughs) you didn't cover Donald Trump Jr.? Well, of course you did. You covered the heck out of the Trump Tower meeting. You brought in experts 
with the most preposterous uh, claims of criminality, you went all in. There was no arrest. He wasn't frog marched out of the uh, the Trump Tower. It's all this revisionism that has taken hold, and it's not going to work. But the real question that we have is whether the public is going to be outraged enough to respond to this campaign against Twitter. Just yesterday, the EU said that they are thinking of banning Twitter uh, from the EU if Musk carries out his pledge to restore free speech. Now, that's exactly what figures like Hillary Clinton have called for. That is, when it was clear that they could no longer rely on corporate censorship, she called on foreign governments to censor the views of fellow American citizens, because they can. They can't do it here, but they can do it there. And so what we really need is for Musk to open up these files and for people to see what was done over the last few years, to see the ugly face of censorship, because it's going to take a worldwide movement to protect Twitter in this effort to restore free speech. To overcome government, because government's going to be pushing back. And I'll bring you to that story. Uh, the EU warned Musk personally on Wednesday. Thierry Breton, the EU's commissioner for digital policy, held a video call with Musk on Wednesday to discuss Twitter's preparedness for the Digital Services Act. The new rule set to take effect next year will require tech companies to better police their platforms for material that promotes terrorism, child sexual abuse, hate speech, and commercial scams. And no one's going to push back uh, against those things. It's what they are. It's the key. And is something that's going to be bad? Is that writing that I'm not taking the vaccine? Do they, is that person banned? If that person says I'm worried about getting swelling of the heart, is that person bad? If one person tweets out, I will not get the booster. I recommend you don't either. Is that going to be bad? Is that going to get somebody banned? That's that's the key. So if you yeah, are a private company now, what do you do to assuage people? Let's say Elon Musk was an evil guy, you know, George Soros incarnate. How do you what do you do? Set up a side board? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, first of all, with the DSA, some of the free speech community have been complaining for years about the DSA. It's a freaking nightmare. I mean, the DSA is basically the West adopting adopting Chinese like control over the over speech on the Internet. And Breton is one of the most notorious anti-free speech figures in Europe. And he has been given carte blanche by the EU. He has views that are directly opposed to what most Americans view as really? the essentiality of free speech. And so they represent a problem. I, Musk is going to try to accommodate uh, the EU uh, because this is a major hit. I mean, that's why citizens have got to speak out, because this campaign is unprecedented in its size. General Motors, Apple, Chipotle, all these companies are pulling their ad revenues while Europe is threatening to ban Twitter. And the president is calling on his agencies to investigate Twitter. It's a full court press. And the funny thing is, this is they've really come against the immovable object because, you know, Musk is the one person who may be able to stand against all of these forces. The only thing he has is the public and free speech because 
he's hitting record numbers of the people who are adopting Twitter. So the public is saying very clearly, we want more free speech. We want what Musk is offering. And all of our leaders are doing everything they can to stop that from happening. Yeah, there's no question. And by the way, I've added uh, so many thousands of followers since then. I don't think it's a coincidence because I was adding them up until 2020 uh, election. And then I lost about 80,000 and then slowly recovered. Same here. Yeah. And then we'll see what happens. Maybe a lot of people got dissatisfied when they saw what happened with the New York Post. that might have been following both of us and we'll see. Um, But it's almost impossible for us to know right now. I want to bring it to something else. And that is I just can't understand it from the layman's perspective, how this guy from FTX who has screwed people out of so much money and continues to do interviews now. He's going on an offensive blitz. He went from a $34 billion billionaire to $100,000, this whole uh, FTX. How has this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, not been extradited from the Bahamas? Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, part, the interesting thing about that whole uh, case is that for some of us on the outside, crypto – always look sort of fraudulent, you know, and, I, and it's probably my ignorance uh, because I still don't quite see the there there when it comes to crypto. Uh, but I, it is obviously a market that is perfectly suited for sort of Ponzi schemes and pyramid schemes or just straight fraud. And, you know, this is a guy who, who just we just watched a billion dollars evaporate in front of our eyes. And, you know, the question is, why is the U.S. government getting this guy back to the states and at least putting an electronic bracelet on him? Because he still has the money to, to flee. And so we'll see in the, if you, in the next coming days uh, whether the Department of Justice just believes that there are, could be potential defenses here. But from what most of us are looking at, uh, this is – really extraordinary. It's Bernie Madoff type of stuff. And it it was this, you know, not only did you have the CEO, but the main, his main subordinate were both these sort of 20 something individuals uh, who came up with this and suddenly had billions to play with. Uh, and yeah. they were committed to using the money for good causes. Well, some of those causes, it turns out, were massive donations to the Democratic Party. So I want you to hear what he said when asked about why are you doing this interview on the New York Times Deal Book Summit, Cut 12. What are your lawyers telling you right now? Uh, Are are they suggesting this is a good idea for you to be speaking? uh, No, they are very much not. Um, uh, And uh, I mean, you know, the classic advice phrase, don't say anything, Uh, you know, recede into a hole. Uh, And it's not who I am. I mean, it's not who I want to be. I don't have... I think I have a duty to talk to people. I have a duty to explain what happened. And I think I have a duty to do everything I can to try and do what's right. Your answer to, to that, do you think, is that part of it to say I'm doing this against my lawyer's wishes or is it really against his lawyer's wishes, do you think? Oh, it's definitely against his lawyer's wishes. I mean, this is just the most perplexing uh, thing that you could possibly do. Uh, this is He's at extremely high risk. Everything he says can be used against him, introduced at a trial. Uh, It's remarkably stupid. And what's also interesting is that the interview didn't come up with anything exculpatory. I mean, so he's he's making these statements, but he 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 had no no game. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. the best he seems to come up with is, yeah, I was just overwhelmed with billions of dollars. Oh, my bad. Well, <laughs> the, no kidding, really Jonathan. Thanks so much. Uh, always great to talk to you. Always educational. Jonathan Turley, thank you. Your calls then, Senator Tom Cotton. What an hour. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Just got a quick reminder. Time's running out and tickets are running out. Uh, Saturday, excuse me, Friday at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. It's going to be Brian Kilmeade on stage live with Pete Hegseth, Rachel Campos Duffy, and and, and Carly Shimkus joining me on stage. My good buddy Pat O'Rourke doing stand-up to open up. It's going to be an all-American fun night on stage in Newark, New Jersey, the most fun anyone's going to have in America. And uh, this was supposed to be in August. We had to postpone it to December 2nd. It's finally ready to go. VIP opportunities remain just a handful. That's when I get a chance to talk to you before. And it's kind of revolving around the President of Freedom Fighter. Uh, President of Freedom Fighter is the paperback book. It's Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. I put new information in it. I think you'll love it. It's been on the bestseller list for the last four weeks. And I'll just add, too, if you can't get there live and listening around the country, uh, you could get at 8.30, we go live on Fox Nation. So you'll see it on stage. You'll, you'll, I'm not sure what the lighting is going to be like. Uh, uh, on the whole stage. We'll be all over the stage. You'll be reenacting great moments in American history in our own unique style. Uh, you don't want to miss it. It's all anyone's going to be talking about. It'll, for one day, it'll make Kevin Costner the second best thing on Fox Nation. And then on Saturday, it'll go back to Kevin Costner. I'm always often put on the same list as him anyway. He usually wins. Not on Friday. Brian Kilmeade Show. Senator Tom Cotton next. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're back. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton joins us now. Senator, great to have you. Hey, Brian. It's good to be back on with you. So why why do you think we got to get rid of TikTok now more than ever? Well, Brian, TikTok is like a Trojan horse uh, on Americans' phones. Uh, it can give backdoor access to all of the data on one's phone, not just the content that you upload in TikTok or even that you save in TikTok but don't upload, but your other apps as well, text messages, email, photographs, contacts, browsing history. Uh, it's part of the most massive surveillance state in the history of mankind, and it's something that will stick with uh, people who use it forever. You might say, well, gosh, my 12-year-old daughter who just posts and views baton twirling routines is not at risk. Well, she could be at risk in 10 and 15 and 20 years from now when all of her data is still in the hands of the Chinese communists. This is Apart and aside from the fact um, that it's like a kind of digital fentanyl uh, that exposes kids by design and by algorithm to grossly inappropriate content, unlike the way it works in China, it is a Trojan horse on all Americans' phones, and I'd urge you, if you have it, to delete it and then probably get a new phone. Well, here's the thing. Uh, how are you going to go up to every 12 to 18-year-old and say, let me see your phone, I need you to delete that? I mean, ultimately, it's in the hands of the parents in those situations. But I think most parents try to monitor what their kids do online. But is there a way to stop it uh, digitally? Can you stop an app from coming ashore? Well, what you can what you can do from a technical standpoint, once it's already uh, in the United States and, and downloaded on phones, what you 
can do is stop any more kind of uh, uh, updates or software refreshes through app stores through which it's downloaded. Um, that wouldn't necessarily eliminate it immediately, but it would in a way kind of wither on the vine. But the most important thing you can do if you're a parent is to Get your kids off of it and get it off their phones. It is protecting your kids just like you would protect them from child pornography or drugs or alcohol or any other nefarious influence in their life. Well, we'll see where it goes because I know Senator Warner's there. Are there any Democrats standing in your way? Because we know the president was taking ads out on TikTok during the midterm. So with the Democrats, I'm sure Republicans were, too. So they were playing the game. Barack Obama with sitting down and on the floor with an influencer under a desk. Uh, you know, Joe Biden embarrassing himself with 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 some other teenager who never knew what she was talking about. So, uh, do you think Democrats are going to fight you on this? So, to my no- to my knowledge, there are no Republicans taking similar action. Certainly not the President of the United States. You know, the White House talks on both sides of its mouth. On the one hand, as you say, it doesn't have a TikTok account. It warns Americans about the risk. On the other hand, they're inviting so-called TikTok influencers to the White House to campaign for them and help spread their message. That's a very bad signal to be sending to Americans. Um, Second, I just think that this part of President Biden's unwillingness to confront China, he doesn't want to rock the boat. For instance, he's not standing up for these brave protesters uh, in streets across China right now. He often talks a big game uh, about uh, confronting China, but in the end, he's worried about creating too much conflict, creating too many ripples in our relationship, when it re- in reality is the Chinese communists who are creating this conflict. It's only a matter for us of whether we want to prevail or not prevail. I'm all for real politics, and I know we have to do business with people that don't have governments we support, like Saudi Arabia, for example. But I am amazed at how this administration has thrown morality after pledging just the opposite out the window, not coming out condemning the riots and and backing the protesters in Iran, not backing the protesters in China, going to bed with Maduro, ignoring the Cuban uprising from a year a year plus ago. Whatever happened to our backing a convicted criminal, 76-year-old Lula in Brazil, and Bolsonaro, it looks like he was robbed. That's according to millions of people who have not stopped rioting inside Brazil, and we're on the wrong side of almost every issue. What happened? Yeah, yeah, you're totally right about this, Brian. Actually, I have a section in my new book, Only the Strong, about this, about distinguishing our friends and our foes. Um, I, I would follow the approach and the philosophy of Ronald Reagan, his great ambassador to the United Nations, Gene Kirkpatrick, of simply distinguishing between pro-American governments and anti-American governments. It would be nice if we lived in a world where all countries shared our political system and our cultural and social values. That's one reason why we have such close relationships with Great Britain and Israel. We have shared political and religious and historic and cultural traditions. But let's not kid ourselves. We don't live in that world. The world is not a church picnic. Right. We live in a dangerous world. And there are countries who don't share those uh, political systems or those traditions with us, like Saudi Arabia, like the United Arab Emirates, like Jordan and Morocco, who have nonetheless been reliable American partners. And then there are countries that have even worse regimes that are also implacably hostile to America, Iran, Syria, China, Venezuela, Cuba, Russia. The Biden administration and Democrats in general turn this on its head. They almost always tend to alienate, in the cases of Saudi Arabia, intentionally ostracize governments that are friendly and supportive of America's national interests while they uh, try to 
curry favor with and apologize to and appease to those outlaw regimes. Look, we also have a history of being able to help nurture and midwife more tolerant and ultimately representative governments in countries that once were non-democratic. Look what Reagan did uh, in the Philippines and what he did with South Korea in the 1980s. And in, in, in truth, Brian, just the very fact that you choose as a nation to align yourself with the United States is itself a kind of modernizing uh, yeah. and, and liberalizing tendency. The fact that you choose to be a part of America's security networks around the world as opposed to aligning yourself with a China or a Russia goes to show that you actually are a country that is moving in the right direction. So when you watch what's happening in China, you don't overstep and say, I call on everybody in China to riot, like in the 80s with George H.W. Bush said for the Shia to rise up and they had no protection and they still held a bitterness for us. There's a way to do it. I'm looking at Justin Trudeau's comments from yesterday. He says, we're going to continue to ensure that China knows we'll stand up for human rights. We'll stand up for the people who are expressing themselves. We also need to make sure that China and places around the world are respecting journalists and their ability to do the job. You know, why is that? Why is Justin Trudeau, who is anything but admirable as a leader, who just abused his own truckers, we know that. Why does he sound more muscular than us? Yeah, again, I think it goes back to Joe Biden's unwillingness to stand up to the Chinese communists, just frankly like he refused to stand up throughout the Cold War as a senator to the Russian communists as well. Um, it's very similar to what Barack Obama did in 2009 during the last big protest in Iran as well. You know, President Obama recently apologized for remaining silent during those protests. Yes. But it was, not, it was not a mistake, Brian. It wasn't, uh, you know, a new or naive or inexperienced president caught flat-footed. It was a ruthless ruthless plan in pursuit of his main goal, which was to apologize for what he viewed as America's sins against Iran, to get a nuclear deal, and to pull in America's horns and have a ground rapprochement with Iran. You see the same thing today, I think, with China. Joe Biden doesn't think uh, or doesn't want to risk, you know, I don't know, a possibility of a climate change agreement with China uh, by speaking out in behalf of these brave Chinese protesters. Ronald Reagan always took the exact opposite tactic. Look what he did, for instance, early in his tenure with the Solidarity Labor Movement in Poland, speaking out against Soviet domination in Poland. He was not worried that, as Democrats always say they are, oh, it's going to play into the hands of the regime. It's going to allow them to portray these protesters as puppets of America. No, he knew, he knew, as is the case today, that captive peoples who are the first and worst victims of communist regimes or repressive dictatorships are yearning to hear American presidents speak out on their behalf and right. to champion their cause. And that's exactly what President Biden should do now, in his own voice and on camera. Yeah, it would be nice. Instead of his press secretary uh, walking around the block instead of answering the question, even though he was an admiral, uh, the price of freedom in the U.S., 1 million COVID deaths, 40,000 gun deaths per year, 107,622 fentanyl deaths in 2021 alone. Fentanyl deaths are there. During, this is a statement from China. The American people deserve something far better than that. What we want is to protect our people's lives and ensure them a better life. So they're trying to justify welding them in their house, letting them burn alive, stopping them from going to work or leaving their house and not giving them food. And they're saying, look at America. We keep shooting each other and killing each other with fentanyl that they produce. So our, our inadequate response still got hostile responses from them. 
Exactly. Exactly. And this is always the case with aggressive anti-American dictatorships. You saw this in Alaska during a summit early in the Biden uh, administration with Tony Blinken and Jake Sullivan being dressed down by their counterparts when they should have gotten on offense and and condemned the Chinese communists for their genocide against religious and ethnic minorities in northwest China or decades of repression and destruction of Tibetan heritage uh, on the Tibetan plateau or the fact that they harvest organs from political prisoners or persecute 100 million Christians. Instead, they just meekly accept these criticisms and try not to rock the boat because John Kerry wants to get a climate change deal with China. What about the fact that, by the way, the the book is still out doing well, Only the Strong by Senator Tom Cotton, who's my guest. Senator, what about the fact that uh, Macron comes over here and basically says that new green deal, not good for business, not good for your allies. It might be good for you, but it's not ready. Do you believe that we're getting lectured about doing going too green by the president of France? <laughs> I know. And, and let's just remind – I want to remind everyone too, Brian, that China has the market cornered on most green technology in the world. They so do. progressives may march under the banner of climate change, but it looks an awful lot like the Chinese communist five-star flag. It, if you are promoting more green or so-called clean technology, you are playing right in the hands of China, making ourselves more dependent on Chinese manufacturing of solar panels and wind turbines and elements uh, and components for those things. If you believe in more North American oil, gas, and coal production, you are playing into the American strength and what makes us a superpower, uh, an energy superpower in the world. So I know you're working on something else. You're introducing a bill to support 9-11 Beirut bombing victims. In what respect is there a gap there? Yes, yeah, so, uh, Brian, there was a, a fund created uh, in the U.S. government about seven years ago for victims of state-sponsored terrorism. So if you have a judgment against, uh, in court against a country uh, for uh, a terrorist attack, you can apply to that fund uh, to receive some compensation. Um, at the time, in 2015, both the 9-11 families and the Beirut families uh, of the, of the Beirut barracks bombing in 1983 were not included in that. They were seeking other means of redress for understandable reasons. Uh, It's turned out that that fund is probably the best way to get victims of terror the benefits that they deserve. So the House passed a bill a few months ago that would add the 9-11 families back into it and give them so-called catch-up payments as if they had been there from the beginning. I think that is a laudable and worthwhile goal. I don't want to leave the Beirut families behind, though. I don't want the Beirut families to be the only victims of terrorism. who are not receiving the same just compensation that all the victims of terror do. So Dan Sullivan and I have introduced new legislation that would add both groups of terror victims into the fund, make sure they're both made whole, and get going forward we will treat all victims of terror on an uh, equitable basis. And lastly, there's a movement now to withhold $45 billion from the Pentagon because they still are demanding that all military, including academy students, get vaccinated. What can you do to stop this, get their attention, and make make Democrats understand, too, this is a problem and unfair? Yeah, it's it's grossly unfair. Now, as someone who served in the military and and took a lot of shots when I did, uh, some of them were pretty painful and inconvenient as well, especially the smallpox shot. I would say, in general, the military does have the power to instruct its service members to take these shots. This is why I think the COVID vaccination is different, though. First, it was under an emergency use authorization uh, from the FDA. It wasn't a tried, tested vaccine going back decades, unlike smallpox and the flu and anthrax and so forth. Second, 
the rationale for the mandate, as it always is in the military, is one, to prevent the spread of the virus, two, to prevent terrible cases. Well, we now know that this vaccine does not prevent the spread of the virus, so that rationale is no longer applicable. And it doesn't even appear, especially in young people, to do much difference in terms of the uh, severity of the case. And you're already talking about an extremely young population that is physically fit. The third reason is the military already faces a recruiting and a retention Thank crisis. Yep. We should not be taking any steps that make it harder to get young men and women into our military or to keep them in our military when there is zero benefit in return. So many Republicans in Congress uh, want to insist that we get a vote on the annual defense bill that will prevent uh, Joe Biden's uh, Department of Defense leadership from continuing to enforce this needless and counterproductive mandate. Can they go around you? Well, not if we can pass it into law. I mean, the Democrats should go on record about whether they believe that we should continue to force service members yeah. to leave leave the military because they have hesitations about taking a vaccine that has proven to be needless and in some cases harmful. Uh, Senator, I don't wear you out. Do I have hit you on too many topics? Are you really like to cry uncle now, put up the white flag and say, I can't take it anymore? <laughs> No, I'm always happy to talk to you, Brian. All right, good. If you can hold to that not running for president, because I know Nikki Haley seems to reverse herself, and Mike Pompeo seems to reverse himself. Are you going to reverse yourself? Are you thinking about it? <laughs> no, I, uh, Brian, my decision in, uh, is Sherman-esque. Um, I will not be a candidate <laughs> for the White House in 24. If if nominated, I will not run. If elected, I will not serve. Or you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll take the rides on the big plane. That seems attractive, and let someone else uh, do the work. But no, my boys right now are seven and five. And you know, one one thing my wife and I saw over this fall as I was out on the campaign trail for so many of our candidates is that it's just a, a particularly challenging age for uh, for dad to be gone. You know, they're old enough to be aware I'm gone and be sad about it, but they're not old enough to understand why all this matters and uh, what we're trying to accomplish for the country. So I'm not necessarily closing the book on a potential White House run one day, but uh, definitely closing the 2024 chapter. I look forward to continuing my work in the Senate um, and being of help where I can to the candidates running and uh, supporting our nominee in 2024 so we can take back the White House. And in the background, you could hear two cotton kids uh, <laughs> cheering. <laughs> one of which I saw at the bookstore. It's got a lot of energy. Great kid. Uh, oh, yeah, I saw him. You, can say, you can say that again. <laughs> Senator Tom Cotton, thanks so much. Only the strong. Great book. Thank you, Brian. You got it. I'm going to wrap up this hour in just a moment. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Millions of dollars worth of cocaine fell from the sky this morning in Knoxville, Tennessee. A lot of cocaine was lost. I need you to go and get it. The bear did cocaine. A bear did cocaine. What was that bear? What is going on? What is, what did you just roll in? It is I I highly suggest you go check out the trailer for Cocaine Bear. <laughs> it is as ridiculous as it sounds there. It's based on a true story even though it's clearly then embellished about a drug smuggling plane drops cocaine in the woods and a bear consumes it. And then just this one is and the bear goes crazy. And then goes but, on a murderous rampage. 
Hey, wait, wait. This is, fact is that Eric knew about it. Eric told you about it. To be actually, I told Eric about it this morning, and he watched and it. You, and you and, like and it, Eric? You it, like it? I was like, we got to play this. He <laughs> thought it was as great as I told him. Right. I do think. Don't you think there's there's a lot of bear stories over the last five years? Remember the the bear story we had today? If we did a morning know that the bear hunting season in New Jersey was canceled or postponed? Yes, the judge put a hold on it, which is always you know controversial. Because people need to shoot bears? We... No, there are too many in New Jersey. So, I mean, but Murphy said he was never going to do it, and can then we, he went back can, on don't it. Don't we have any nets? We <laughs> could grab them and move them to Wisconsin or Yellowstone Park? Are you volunteering? Yes. <laughs> what, do you think it's dangerous? Come here, bear. Come here, bear. Come here. I'm not going to shoot you if you just get into my net. That sounds like I, it would work. Here we get some <laughs> honey. I'll come to you. Right. Just like the cartoons. Like Winnie the Pooh. Hey, see everyone tomorrow night, New Jersey Performing Arts Center, BrianKillMe.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.